I know where to find it. Just give me a second. All right, I can't find it. Welcome to the Dead Format, episode 18. My name is Ian McEwen, and I'm here with my co-host, the Duke of Downton Abbey, Tom Smiley, and we're here to talk about Legacy. All right, before we talk about Legacy tonight, I want to go to bat for my show that I didn't think I was going to actually enjoy, but my wife started to watch just the back episodes on... I'm not sure if it was Netflix or Hulu or the Amazon service, but for the first season or two, anytime that she would be watching it, I would just leave because that wasn't my type of show. And just from being around it, I got into it and I just finally finished all of the seasons. And man, was that show good. Now that's definitely not my wheelhouse for what type of TV shows I generally watch. But the characters were so well-developed, and I I super got into it at the end. And there were some scenes where I was like, I don't know if I can, if I can keep my tears in right now. This is sad. But I will go to my grave telling people how great that show is. <laughs> I'm, willing to, I'm willing to put that out there on the podcast. I got nothing. That, that's all you, bro. Yep, just, just trust me on it. So we got actually a lot to talk about this episode. Did you want to talk about the Patreon? There are a few people who had contacted us on Twitter asking whether or not we had a Patreon set up because they would definitely give a dollar a month for the content that we're producing. And that sort of like shook me that there would be people that would be willing to to do that for us. We do the content for free. We put our own time into it. Really, we, we enjoy doing it. So I took the time to go through and try to think about goals for the Patreon that would make sense and provide a little bit of value to people. And you can see that if you go on our page, but even before we talked about it on the cast, I just put up a Twitter post with the link before we had everything set. And we had a few people sign up before we even talked about it. And that that just really meant a lot. It doesn't matter how much money it is. The fact that anybody would choose to become a patron means a lot to me. And I'm sure it means a lot to you. And we would appreciate it if you went and checked it out. We're not begging for money. Our costs are fairly low. We have a website and we pay for our SoundCloud hosting. But we were going to do this regardless of whether or not people were going to support us on Patreon. But the fact that a few people already did just means the world. So Michael Hilton and Tom Carnes, a.k.a. Teabag Tom, have already signed up for the Patreon. And I can't wait to provide the membership tiers that we sort of set up. I was trying to figure out how we were going to name our tiers. And since we're the dead format, I figured we would just name all of them after Undead. I just straight up ripped the D&D art for each one of them. So the Patreon looks kind of cool. But we're going to be having segments with guest hosts and deck list posts and articles that are exclusive to the Patreon. So if you do want to check that out, you can find us at patreon.com slash the dead format. And we really appreciate everything that our listeners do. Our plan is to try to build out what we're offering. We we had shirts made for ourselves. It came out amazing. And being able to do shirts and playmats and things like that is something that, that would be awesome. And if you like what we're doing but are unable to make money in your budget to support us, we completely understand. You can like us on Twitter, follow us on SoundCloud, do whatever 
you can do, because I know that every time we get a new Twitter follower or that somebody rates us on iTunes, I get really excited and we appreciate everybody for what they're doing. Yeah. And if you're like me and you would prefer not to get shouted out on the podcast, if you donate to someone's Patreon, I definitely spoke to Tom about that and that's going to be an option. In addition to the Patreon, and honestly, at this point in time, I think more importantly, we have this charity drive that we've talked about doing with Pat and Jerry from Leaving a Legacy. This was an idea that we kicked around back in October. It's something that Pat had done before with his wife. And when we had LobsterCon back at the end of September, it was associated with the Room to Grow charity. And we bought these presents for underprivileged youth in Boston and it was just like such a wonderful experience so we're going to be doing an adopt a family thing uh, along with the guys from leaving a legacy we're going to be adopting a family in the Boston area for this Christmas and we're not entirely sure how we're going to do it yet whether it's going to be you know donating cards to us or monetary donations but what we do know is that it's going to be a competition between ourselves and leaving a legacy so this is your chance to vote you know put your cards where your mouth is show the world that we're the better cast we set up a recording date for part two of our reserve list cast that should be released in a few weeks and i I think that we kind of want to make this like a tip jar type of deal where if you are absolutely in favor of the abolishment of the reserve list Maybe we maybe we want those those people to make sure that they tip leaving a legacy. And if you are like Ian and myself and you think that the matter's really maybe a little bit more complicated, and why mess with a good thing repealing the reserve list? You can you can send those things our way. But just seeing what Pat and Jerry have done raising money for charity and legitimately using something that we all think of as a hobby and we really enjoy and turning it into actually doing good in the community is something that we wanted to get involved in. So regardless of who ends up winning the contest, it's just going to end up doing good things. So I'm, I'm really excited. Yeah. And I spoke with Adrian. Some of you might remember Adrian Avant last night at length, actually. And just talking about, you know, why he started his cast, uh, Leaving a Legacy back in the day, and what they were able to give back to the community, like St. Jude's and the Wounded Warrior Project when he was there. It was really inspiring, and I'd like to continue in that tradition. You know, just honor Adrian, and yeah, what the guys have been doing over at LAL is amazing. And I did forget that it was sort of a competition with the uh, reserve list thing. I don't want to be going head-to-head with LAL because we'll get crushed. It's like a David versus Goliath scenario. So, yeah, good call. I mean, we're we're willing to take that on. We're not we're not going to back down, but we're we're all doing good things and I think there are a lot of people that like both casts and really getting a rotation for your podcast is nice to always have something to drive to work with. So, yeah, we had not that much happen this week in Magic, well in Legacy, I should say. In Magic, there was a uh couple grand prix there was new jersey and there was lil i believe both standard and when i was looking at twitch the grand prix and lil had on saturday like eleven thousand viewers and on on sunday like something like thirteen thousand viewers when i was watching which for like a standard grand prix is fucking unheard of right that's that's an incredible number well it's an early format and the pro tour hasn't happened so really this is the the highest profile event leading into the pro tour. And there are lots of people that watch coverage when formats change over just to sort of figure out what they think the new tier one is going to be and how everything is going to be positioned so they can get their cards early and then play at their local store. So it doesn't surprise me that the numbers were that high, but I wanted to say that our boy Zachy T top-aided Grand Prix New Jersey. Did you see that? Uh, I don't know anything about Zachy T, but but Zach Turgeon did. Zach Turgeon, Blood Moon Master, can play a little bit of standard too. 
yeah, Zach's an all-around great Magic player and a good dude. I learned a lot, honestly, playing for with Zach in like 2015, 2016 in the Boston area. Not enough I can say about how good of a player he is. So it's awesome to see. He, I think he's going to the the Grand Prix. Or sorry, the Pro Tour in Cleveland, if I'm not mistaken, this winter. So hopefully he can represent. Now, congratulations for making the Pro Tour. But how much does that suck that you qualify for the Pro Tour and it's in Cleveland? Bro, what you got against Cleveland? Cleveland sucks. You don't like Bone Thugs and Harmony? I've actually never even been to Cleveland. LeBron didn't want to be there again. Pro Tour probably doesn't want to be there either. Uh, I got nothing for love for Cleveland, so I don't know what you're talking about. We're going to have Topher now and Zach, two of our local legacy players. I use the term local loosely. Two of the people that come to our 1Ks, at least. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it's good to see people that put that much time in, get rewarded, and... And get to show the world what we see on a regular basis with how good these guys are. Yeah, very well put. So, yeah, we had that standard event going on. And the numbers, yeah, they were high for the reasons that you said. But I think that they were abnormally high, especially going against the Star City Modern event. To pull 13,000 while Modern Live is running on Star City, that's just not something you would have seen last year. And I think that the arena effect has a lot to do with it, honestly. I mean, I'm consistently logging onto Twitch and seeing Magic in the top 10 games streaming in, in the world, which is not something I'd ever seen outside of Pro Tour Weekend. I agree. I was a huge arena naysayer early in the alpha, and logging in and playing my free sealed that I got from the pre-release, they really turned it around. So, yeah, anyway, but there wasn't any big legacy events this weekend. I believe they had their... Uh, legacy preservation series going on out in seattle but that was all i saw for legacy this weekend the scg like we just talked about was modern so they had a modern and a standard classic no legacy yep unfortunately so for big events all we had were the deck dump and the legacy challenge much like last week so in the tradition that we started last week we're going to highlight uh one or two decks that stood out to us from each event so did you want to pick a deck from the challenge uh, are we going to do the challenge or the deck dump? You want to pick out a deck from the deck dump? Yeah. I saw that you had done the cast notes. And as soon as I saw this name on your notes, I was like, damn it. He took it. But I am going to pick Z-Nudes with Bug Delver. And this Bug Delver list just pulls every single string that you can possibly pull to get to my heart. It's a bug deck. It's got Leovold. It's got Hierarch. It's got True Name. But instead of playing the mid-rangey Strix, him, whatever plan, that sort of value bug mid-range shell, it's more of a tempo strategy playing for Stifle, which I guess is quite a bit better now with almost all of the decks that you see are Fetchland-based even Miracles running as many basics as they do, they still have a ton of ways that you can get value from your Stifle, whether it be hitting a fetch land early or countering a Terminus. So the creature package has what you would expect out of a Delver shell with Delver and Gurmog and True Name and a Leovold. But it also has four Noble Hierarch and a Snapcaster Mage. And Noble in delver shells like you have been experimenting with in rug really really does some great things when you can play it on turn one having the mana advantage early to be able to daze and not set yourself behind in your mana development is huge and being able to play four days three pierce along with your forces and four stifle really locks up that early game and in addition to the creature suite that I talked about, the deck is playing two main deck Bitter Blossom. And that card is so resilient and such a great way to grind through the Grixis value decks that you're seeing. And main deck, Miracles has a really hard time dealing with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I love the look of this deck. 
it is kind of in a weird place where it's like a, a Delver deck that's trying to go a little bit bigger, a little bit slower. Like you see the Snapcaster, you see the Leovold, you see the couple Bitter Blossoms, right? It's it's getting set up, no question. But it's really trying to gain like that turn between turn two and four haymaker, you know, establish board position and then just have soft permission to just get over the finish line. I think this is the tightest bug delver list I've seen since the ban. I would agree. And I think that there's still some flexibility with what you can play in that stifle slot. You might be able to squeeze in a thought seize or two. You don't have to play the full four stifle. But another thing that I really like about this deck is the fact that they're actually playing some non-surgical graveyard hate. Like, last week, we talked about Dredge and how we both thought that Dredge killing it online was going to lead more people to playing some permanent base graveyard hate. Like Cage, like this deck has. But in going through the deck dump and the challenge... You're still seeing almost every deck running three surgical and nothing permanent. You have the Eldrazi decks and the, the Aggro Loam decks playing Leyline, but Rest in Peace is non-existent. Graph Digger's Cage is at a minimum. People wake up and see that you actually have to be able to fight Dredge. I, I can't believe that the meta hasn't adjusted online yet, and... It's going to be interesting to see what happens at Eternal Weekend because if people just start pulling lists from on, from online that are just running three surgical as their graveyard hate, just Dredge is going to have a field day. Yeah, absolutely. I've always run, ran one cage in my Rug Delver sideboard, if not two, but usually one. So it didn't really look out of place to me in this sideboard, but I've, I've never gone up to three surgicals. So I guess that is a lot of graveyard hate. You're right. Well, if you look at the Miracles builds, they're almost always running three surgical in the sideboard. There are some that run two. But Miracles decks aren't going to play Rest in Peace because of Snapcaster. They're not going to play Cage because of Snapcaster. And I guess one of the reasons why Rug runs Cage is it's not only graveyard hate, but it shuts down Elves to an extent... And also Storm, where having taking away that Past and Flames line is really important. Yeah, I, I agree. This deck does have a Snapcaster in the main and one in the side. But other than that, that's all just getting shut down by Cage. Yeah, but I think against, against the decks where you want to bring in Cage, you're off that value plan. Like, you want the extra Snapcaster when you want your Hymn to Torak and your Sylvan Library. And if you want the extra cage, then you're probably pulling out your Snapcaster. Maybe you're uh, leaving it in because Snapcaster Surgical is very good. Yeah. But I could I could see the cage not being the best in a lot of those matchups. I'm definitely bringing in Snapcaster against Storm and Elves. You're bringing in Snapcaster against Elves? Yeah, 100%. To be able to snap a Fatal Push mostly or to be able to snap what other spells is, do they have in the sideboard here three abrupt decays okay i think i think snapping abrupt decay is probably going to be too slow against elves i could definitely see le like leaving the snapcaster in and maybe bringing in the other one but i don't i don't see it being super effective yeah i don't know either but that's what i would be starting with i I've found that like those sort of big ground non-evasive threats against elves can get fogged so easily that I would I would be wanting to, you know, ride a delver, a single delver or a single true name over the line. Yeah, I think riding that single true name with only two is probably This is something that we've debated quite a bit in the past. Like when I was on when we were both playing that band deck, we had very different plans against elves. I was always trying to play this very one-for-one one game. I was shaving forces a lot, and you never did that, right? No, I, I felt like the whole matchup revolved around you getting an active JIT and keeping in your counter spells to be able to protect your JIT was the number one plan. Because you're not going to one-for-one elves. You're not going to keep up with their value plan and win with beatdown creatures. You're playing your mana dorks along with them. 
you're trying to land an early true name or a Stoneforge and you're trying to get your JIT online because that's the way that you win, you're never going to keep up with a one-for-one -one game against that deck. And you really need to be able to control the board and sort of blow them out. Now, there's no JIT in this list, so you can't really you can't really attack that angle. So you're going to have to sort of lean on casualties heavily or try to get away with one-for-one-ing or really just stick a Leovold and protect it so they can't go off with Glimpse and then try to answer their their natural order. But I think our four-color Bant deck was, was much better positioned against Elves than this deck. And because of how prevalent Miracles and Grixis control is right now, I think there we're probably spending too much time talking about how we would board against elves. I get, I think that this is interesting though, because I mean, you're saying you can't do that. I've, I've definitely done that. I mean, I had a winning record versus elves for sure. And I had invasive surgery, which is like a sideboard card. I think I played more than you did and is particularly good against elves, but a lot of elves pilots I noticed would be boarding out natural orders against me. So I do understand what you're saying. Like, especially when I was playing blue black decks, I would find that you just get run over by the value plan of elves. It could be that it's just a bad matchup for this deck too. It's not about like one for wanting literally everything. Like you can let nettle sentinels go, you know, you just need to pick one key part of their plan and deny them that for long enough. But like you were saying, this deck doesn't have something like a JIT, that sort of inevitability. So I can understand where it might be more of a problem for this deck where you can't close it out or, you know, effectively close it out by having like, you know, multiple counters on a JIT. Yeah, you, you really have to sort of play that tempo plan where you lead with a Delver, maybe have a Noble Hierarch to pump it, and then try to deal with their board enough for you to tempo through. But other other than an early Delver or having them keep a hand with a visionary engine and multiple glimpses and being able to stick a Leovold early, I don't I don't really see how this deck gets there against them. There's also a Pithing Needle on the board that we didn't mention. Yeah, I mean, Pithing Needle is one of those cards where you take a look at almost every matchup and you're like, well, I could bring this in, but is it impactful enough? There's no more Deathrite Shaman to name. You could name Quirion Ranger. You could name Wirewood Symbiote. You could name one of their random one-of mana dorks you could name heritage druid you can't just for the record don't name heritage druid or mana dorks with pithing needle oh you're right they're mana abilities my, my fault yeah you want to be naming like to bounce the dryad arbor and to bounce the uh elvish visionary that sort of engine you want to be turning off and yeah that's that's pretty much it so it, it's not a card that like is there for that mashup or anything like that but it's a card that i've usually brought in more than not now that we've got 10 minutes on Elvis' sideboard from the Bug Delver side, my deck from the deck dump, the one and only Nola Gold, Jody Keith, with a deck that looks like a throwback to, I don't even know when, before right before True Name was printed maybe, a deck made famous by people who couldn't afford Underground Seas yet. This is like the Junk Blade list. Stoneforges... Tarmogoyfs and Tassigers. I don't even know what to call this, honestly. Junk Blade? Like, do you, do you have something for this? You want me to really say what I think? Let, let him have it. It looks like trash. Like, it looks like somebody didn't have the cards to play Aggro Loam and really, really wanted to play multiple Lilianas. Like, I don't... I understand why you would choose to play a deck like this over, like, an Esper Blade list, if you were just planning on facing a bunch of value decks, Lingering Souls is the house against Miracles. It is a house against Grixis Control. Planeswalkers are still good. And against non-Strix decks, Tarmogoyf can kind of take over. But this deck's playing 3 Vindicate. It, it's not 2009 anymore. Three Vindicate, three Sylvan Library? Three Sylvan Library. What, What is going on? That's a great question, man. I don't really know. Like, what do you think this this person, Jody, played against to get this 5-0? Miracles, 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 miracles? Well, I mean, Grixis Control, miracles, right? Like, yep, yep. I think that just because of how popular those decks are online, 
you can get a 5-0 just playing against those two decks. Now, I guess there's kind of a lack of combo, but I know that there is a ton of Storm that sees play on Moto. And even though you have two Trinisphere in the sideboard, along with two Thalia and a Kambal, it, it just doesn't seem like it's enough to fight through combo. So that's the thing about this, is it kind of looked to me almost like a Maverick deck post-board for non-combo, because you have like your Thalias in the side. It seems like a, like the, the fair deck version of Maverick, except without Knight of the Reliquary. Okay, I can get behind that. There's as many value cards, I guess, because you're playing him and Lingering Souls, and a heavier Planeswalker package, but I, I'm not sure exactly how this deck is attacking the field unless it's Grixis Control and Miracles. Yeah, so we talked about there was that Mardu deck that we talked about a couple weeks ago that actually the the player who played it sent us a message on Twitter, I believe, that was like young Pyromancers with a similar discard package to this. And there was the Jond, like typical Jond deck with Bloodbraid Elves that I played for a while after the ban that had a similar discard package to this. I'd be hard-pressed to find a reason. Like, I'm, I'm looking at the deck list now, and I'm not finding a reason why I would want to play this over one of those two decks right now. Well, I mean, you can just sort of play the same discard spell along with discard suite, along with Snapcaster Mage and Baleful Strix, and then it turns into the control list that we've been seeing, right? Like, the green in the main deck is for Tarmogoyf and Abrupt Decay and Sylvan Library. And you can either decide to cut those and play Grixis or do what Tomas Mar did and just go back to the straight four color build and play, play your value cards that way. Just... This deck not having blue makes me wonder whether or not it's just better to play the stock control lists that, that have already been around. Yeah, there are three chokes in the sideboard, which playing Maverick and playing Jund, I realized were incredibly strong and just a source of some free wins. But I don't think that that's why you know Jody chose to play this deck. It'd be great if we could ask him, honestly, because... Maybe there's something here that I'm missing in terms of philosophy. Well, obviously Choke is, is a, an amazing card. And against those top two decks that we were talking about, Choke is backbreaking, especially if you can clear the way for it. So maybe I'm not giving this deck enough credit for how well it takes advantage of being able to play Choke, but it's also 61 cards. Oh, fuck, really? Yep, so... So maybe maybe we can cut one of the three Vindicate and and make it a little bit cleaner of a list. That was 100% where I would start, yeah. Especially not ramping into it at all either. So it's not like you're getting it under a day's turn three or anything. Agreed. All right, so you want to go over to the challenge? Yeah, and I, I just really quickly wanted to touch again on the fact that, man, people, if you're playing an Eternal Weekend... Or you're playing online next week, have a plan for Dredge. Just be ready for it. Because it has placed very highly in what, the last four weeks worth of challenges? Did it win three out of four or four out of five or something crazy like that? I think it only won two out of four. Four, but it's been in four finals. Okay, uh, that's that's probably more close to correct. But I I still see all of these lists, just almost ignoring the fact that it is crushing these tournaments. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But honestly, how many dredge lists do you expect to see in the challenge? Probably three or four out of the eighty players. Well, I mean, it depends on depends on how well you think you're gonna do. Yeah, it's true. It's, it's been averaging like two places in the top eight for the last month. So regardless yeah. of what percentage that you think you're going to see it, I'd agree with you that it's probably only going to be, I don't know, 
five six percent of the field tops but the percentage of the winners metagame is much higher and this challenge maybe it was because of the double grand prix that that made it easier for a lot of people to um to go to but man this was a this was a six round event there was somebody who snuck into the to the top eight at four and two the 21st through 32nd place lists that were published were three and three. Oh fuck i didn't know that so there's not see the problem is you're looking for like where you can overlap with hate against other decks you know where you can shave a spot in your sideboard to make room for the cage oh and hold on i'm really dumb so speaking about that right last week we were talking about what we would change to the sideboard of death shadow yep in order to combat dredge do you remember that conversation i do all right so one of my buddies matt who i taught how to play magic listens to all of our casts and after he listened he sent me a message and he was like tom this 100 percent not questioning why you're saying that but i don't know the legacy format super well and i'm kind of new to it so can you explain to me why you would play a card like nihil spalbaum over a card like Tormod's Crypt, what's the reason that you would want to pl- want to pay one mana for something that you can get for zero mana? It brought up the fact that he wanted me to talk about that on the cast because you said you're really looking for things that sort of cross over. And the reason why you want to do that is because not only is that a card that you can bring in against Dredge and Reanimator, even though it's not as effective as a Crypt or a Surgical, but you can also bring it in against the Snapcaster-based value decks. And because it cantrips, you don't fall behind in that game plan. So you brought up the fact that you want to be more flexible. And it re- it reminded me that I wanted to answer that question. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to bring it in against Snapcaster decks, Tarmogoyf decks. Any deck that has like subtle graveyard things going on, you don't feel bad about bringing it in. Like You would feel bad about bringing in a Surgical in that matchup. Because it's not conditional in that way. It can just be, you know, just a straight cantrip. But sometimes it's like a two for one. I had a real tough time picking a challenge list this week. Because there were there were two that were near and dear to my heart. And, you know, I haven't listened to this episode yet. We're recording it right now. So I'm not sure yet if Tom is going to start this episode with our traditional trap music. Or turning Japanese. But... In fourth place, we've got you oh, fifteen this, twenty. Every fucking time this card blue pops red up. delver, two risk factor, and in sixteenth place, we've got our boy Yamaro, three risk factor in blue red delver. <sighs> Those are both the blue red delver lists from the top sixteen, both running multiple risk factors. At this point, I'm just doing it to piss you off. No, another part of the conversation I had with my buddy Matt was also him telling me to eat it about risk factor. <laughs> he, we're we're in a, a group text thread where the card got spoiled. And he's like, this card's awesome. And I was like, no, 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 you don't, don't fall for it. And now I, I guess I was the one that fell for it. It's seeing play. People are doing well with it. I just might have to eat it and say that this that this card might might work out. So the thing with like Punisher mechanics, if you bet against them all the time, you would have been right. You would have made enough to buy a fucking house. You know what I mean? You would have been right, 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 right throughout the course of history, starting with Browbeat. If that's the first one. And, you know, they were printing a Punisher sort of card like every set, right? And they were always bad. But this one, just having that value out of the graveyard in colors where you were actually looking for that now. And having it be instant speed where you could, you know, hold up interaction and then cast it. But also just pitch an extra land late game to cast it again. 
I just felt like it was just over the tipping point where this one was finally going to be playable. And it's making me so happy to see it be played. But I have to be perfectly honest. I played two leagues this week with Blue Red Delver. I tried out three risk factors just to sort of to find out, you know, whether I liked it or not. Because I'd done a lot of theory crafting, but I hadn't actually played games with it. And I think my next league that I enter, I'm going to be down to one of them. It was a great card to see sometimes but I definitely got flooded on them. So I'm not sold that that's not what these people are doing as well. Well, I, I feel like one of the reasons why it's popping up is this card is way better in a slower, grindy matchup where you're trying to close, where you've chipped away early and you're using this as a finisher. So against Grixis Control and against Miracles, I can see this card performing well in that slot. But... There are some metagames where you're fighting through graveyard base decks or storm where this card just is a do nothing. You're you're never going to be able to close with it. And I think we're in a meta right now where you have the flexibility to play a three mana card like that with semi flashback and have it give you the closing reach that you need but i don't think that this is a forever card i don't think that this is a forever build so this deck i'm looking at the 16th and they were only off by like two cards but four delver four swift spear two soul scar mage three storm chaser four ponder two preordain four chain lightning one fork bolt four brainstorm four days four force four bolt three risk factor six and 17 lands I really don't think that so this isn't playing like a thought scour faithless looting type of actively get cards in my graveyard and this is even playing bedlam reveler like in my build part of what I liked is if you were stuck on like turn four with one card in your hand casting your bedlam reveler you didn't mind discarding a risk factor because the cost of paying bedlam playing bedlam reveler is discarding what you have in your hand this deck doesn't have any of those cards. It doesn't have Thought Scour. It doesn't have Bedlam Reveler. Any sort of synergy with Risk Factor. This is just playing it straight up as an honest card, doing exactly what it says on the card. Yeah, I, I understand that. But I, I, even a card like Bedlam Reveler, that that card seems very specific to certain metagames. And there's a real cost in playing a card like that that you can't theoretically play until turn four or five, right? So I feel like playing a build that focuses more on that might be more of a drawback than just the the builds that we saw in this challenge. Yeah, and I'm not sure where that line is. I don't know if you saw this. I printed some some kind of crazy decks, like trying to take it to an extreme. And actually Caleb Durward had, I believe it was Caleb Durward, I'm not 100%, but had posted a list with... Arclight Phoenix, I believe it's called the the Phoenix from the new set. Yeah, it was him, and it was similar to what I was trying to do. Except I hadn't gone so far as to cut Delvers from any of my lists. Yeah, it was it was almost like a blue red Delver shell. Only there were zero Delvers, and it was playing Manamorphos and sort of like a like a a pullback to a modern build of Arclight Phoenix. Yeah, so there were Swift Spears, Revelers, and Arclight Phoenixes, I believe, were the creatures, right? I mean, the, the only question is whether or not there were young Pyromancers, really. There's a legacy list with Arclight Phoenix, Mandrills, Hollow One, Street Wraith, Land Grant, Basking Rootwalla. What the fuck are you talking about? I, look at Caleb Durward's Twitter. Are you gaslighting me right now? No, I am 100% not. That seems like something I would do, but I am looking at a list that is rug-ish. <laughs> and it has Hooting Mandrels in it, so you should love this. But it's got Burning Inquiry, Faithless Looting, Gutshot, Careful Study and Brainstorm, along with Days and Land Grant. <laughs> This is for real. Oh, you're talking about literally the last deck he posted. Yes, it is. It is his post 18 hours ago from 
from the time that we're recording. So he calls this out as being a uh, a rough draft with a lot of listener suggestions in it because there's a lot of like two of weird shit going on. So wait, what what is going on with these fucking hollow ones? It's like somebody took the modern hollow one deck and mashed it together with like a rug delver build without most of the good cards. Dude, that was unbelievable. But anyway, I I know what he had. He had. He might have had a Grim Lava Mancer in the main, honestly. He might have had a Young Pyromancer, but it was Swift Spears, it was Arclight Phoenix, and it was Bedlam Revelers. And all the blue cards you expect to see. And Thought Scours and Faithless Looting. So he was going all in on the same sort of plan I did. I never went to... I never cut Delvers. I never went to four Phoenix. I was just fucking around with two of them. But basically this play out of the Graveyard deck in the blue red colors right and i wonder like what the optimal build of that looks like i do too and i think there are definitely ways to push this shell but being able to push arclight phoenix reveler into the power level that you would expect in legacy is probably going to take a few more cards i'm not saying that it's bad but i think that there are better graveyard value decks already And if you are trying to play a sort of less dredgy dredge that you might just be better off playing the dredge deck because it is so much more powerful. Yeah, absolutely. And there's also the question of like, when do you get into the the camp where you're so far in the graveyard that you're getting hurt by a graveyard hate? Because that's what I would like to try to avoid. I want to be just using the graveyard just enough that no one's going to be bringing in hate against me but then you catch the people who are playing that splash value graveyard hate like spell bomb well yeah that's when you can play that game right 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 yeah that and that's fine but yes yes you're absolutely right i'm sorry spell bomb is definitely the trap you walk into i agree and i don't know if you noticed the rug delver list that made top 32 here which i guess might have just been three and three because I think it was down like around 26 or something had cryptic serpent and that's the card I've been thinking a lot about recently basically like what turn you're going to be casting cryptic serpent when you don't have thought scours in your deck right and I mean that that card's fine even if you cast it for two mana it's it's obviously better than Gurmag Angler on board but Gurmag Angler is easier on the setup and it costs half of the mana cost when everything is going right. So against Baleful Strix decks, it's bad. Against combo decks, it's bad. I, I'm not I don't really understand what fold in the meta right now that that card is trying to fill. It's obviously an efficient threat, but it's a sort of later game play. And I'm not I'm not really sure if I like where Rug has been for a while. Yeah, it's tough. I understand how you wind up at Cryptic Serpent because you're thinking about Gurmag Angler and you're thinking about going bigger than it, right? But I've found that Mandrills has actually been really good for trampling over uh, protection, whether that's a true name or a mother of runes, which we're not really seeing anymore. Or just playing a one-mana threat against combo decks, like being able to hold up interaction and still play like a turn three or four Mandrills when you're playing against like Ant. That's been like a really good spot for me. And Serpent just seems harder to cast, more mana intensive. And yeah, I I don't know. I I do think it's interesting that it's seeing play. Yeah, I just, I feel like for one more mana... Make that one of a true name, and your deck probably just straight up gets better. Well, yeah, that's the thing. This deck isn't maxed on true name, so I would 100% be on true name first. So did we talk about your deck from the challenge? We haven't. I I looked through the whole thing, and I didn't want to talk about the blue-red Delver deck because it had risk factor in it. (laughs) I didn't really want to talk about either miracles or grixis we we already talked about dredge right and already that narrows down like half of the field 
I don't want to talk about a three and three deck like Spirits or the Grixis Punishing Fire deck with Dak Faden. Like those decks have been around, but it's not super super interesting to me. A Manalist Dredge showed up, just again reinforcing that idea that you need something other than surgical. I guess the the Hex Steps deck with him to Torak is probably the most interesting out of the decks that finished high enough and had an interesting enough twist on the previous shell. I just I can't I can't get behind sleeving up hex steps with miracles being the number one represented deck in the format right now. Like I like the fact that this is running Mox Diamond for permanent acceleration. I like the fact that it has him and Sylvan in the main deck. The Assassin's Trophy is kind of like a catch-all. I feel like that's fine. But I I don't know whether or not that's what I want to be doing right now. Bro, don't you think it's weird that when these decks go to Mox Diamond, you still don't see Loam in the sideboard? What's, what's the reason why we don't see Loam in this build? It has Confidant to sort of grind, to grind through the sort of control decks that don't pressure your life total. But why don't we see something like Loam or maybe a Tabernacle, something like that in the sideboard of this deck? Was you talking about traditionally or this deck specifically? Well, I mean, traditionally and specifically. Traditionally, like, you want to make a Dark Depths on turn two and then kill him right. on turn three so Loam doesn't do anything. Yep. But we're seeing the decks transition away from that turbo aspect to playing confidants and sylvans and even hymns yeah, right here. Yeah, exactly. Like all these value cards coming in and then you have this like value engine. So, so what are the reason what's the reason why we're not one not seeing that and two not seeing something that we traditionally see like maybe expedition map? I mean, this deck is playing 28 land. That's a lot for hex steps, isn't it? Yeah, I mean it's really just going all out in this fair direction right well i i wouldn't necessarily say that it's in a fair direction well st so i'm starting from that core of you're trying to cheat a 2020 into play your your flex spots are sylvan safekeepers dark confidants him to turax and abrupt decays and an assassin's trophy and a sylvan library like it feels like that's really tweaking the deck to be as fair as it can be without forsaking the the dark depths or becoming like a lands deck you know yeah i i feel like it it's almost cut all of its tutor package though right like it's cut it has four crop rotation and two sylvan scrying and usually they're playing 10 i don't i don't know what the old black green builds played for tutors but i remember seeing more sylvan scrying Maybe the one that goes and gets a snowland into the north, yeah, in, I, into the north. I think it was like four scrying and one into the north, and like a couple expedition maps, yeah. So, so this this deck is really relying on the top of its deck more to be able to deliver the combo pieces, and obviously this person did well, but I would like to. I would like to see a loam package in here. If you're going to play 28 land, why not expand out what you're trying to do? You're already playing a ghost quarter and two wasteland. This deck has dropped pithing needle entirely. Yeah, that's crazy right there. So there must be something that we're missing with the way that the matchups play out. Well, I mean, so you look at like the, the meta right now, we're talking about miracles Grixis, Dredge, co you know, Combo Ant, like Lion's Eye Diamond decks, I guess we could say. Wasteland really is like a secondary consideration right now. So I guess that's why you end up shaved on Needle. Okay, I, I can get behind that. I think that's but probably I don't think, correct. I don't think that's why you would shave on or potentially not play Loam, right? Because it, even though you're not worried about the, the Wasteland Mana Denial aspect of it, you still have the make a 2020 and they draw swords to plowshares off the top or, you know, a Jace or something. And you have to go, you know, get another dark depth. So maybe, I still think that Loam is worthwhile. Maybe Loam 
just makes you worse against surgical. And so, yeah. surgical is already crushing against this deck because as soon as they deal with your depths, surgical is game over. Like you lose, you're winning with dark confidant beatdown. So maybe adding loam pushes your opponents to bring in surgical more often. I'm stretching here for reasoning. So I, I'm not quite sure whether or not I even agree with that statement that I just said. No, honestly, that's the best thing that I have right now. I would bring in surgical against this deck and have some people tell me that it was wrong, but I always felt like you had to take care of that first dark depths, you know, with a wasteland or if they made a merit age and you plowed it and then, you know, hit that dark depths and get them all out of the deck. I always felt like that was a good strategy. And, and there, there are a lot of decks that just have quite a few dead cards against this deck. So less, less so when you're playing confidant and safekeeper, but the turbo versions have quite a bit of stuff where you can just pull and if the stuff that you're taking out is worse than surgical, you shouldn't feel ashamed about bringing it in. I I always hate playing against those people yeah. where you beat them with a card and they're like, oh, why did you bring that in? Nobody brings that in against this deck. You can be a salty asshole if you want to, but the reasons that I brought this card in are because I cut this, 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 and this, and it's better than those cards. Yeah, like after the game against Elves players when they're like, you boarded out Force against me. <laughs> That's a callback. I don't know if Tom's going to cut that part from the, from the earlier cast, but... Wait, did I... Was there was there actually a callback? What what happened? I don't remember this. You don't remember talking about cutting Force against Elves decks? No. Did I, like, go at you for cutting all of your forces? Yeah, are you... Are you fucking with me? No, I really... I don't remember. I remember being... <laughs> God re- damn it. You're I, doing this I because swear. you know you're going to cut it from the cast. No, right? I'm going to leave this in. I remember us having some <laughs> I know you're going to leave this in. No, I remember us having some conversations <laughs> where I, I just, like, was kind of an asshole. I don't remember that actually being one of them. Yeah, I have always cut forces against elves. Like, in some number depending on the, being on the player of the draw w- with playing Bant. Wait, are we really talking about fucking sideboarding elves with Bant again? We did. We came back to elves, but this is good. This is good podcasting. I won't cut this. I'm going to cut all or almost all of the 10 minutes we spent talking no. about bug and elves. But Dude, there was some value in there. But anyway, so when your package of spells is in your sideboard, you have invasive surgeries. You have Spell Pierce, Bluster Storm, those kind of spells. When I'm trying to play from the Bant side against Elves, I felt like there was a reasonable chance that you could one-for-one your way into a position where you had a JIT online. And this kind of doesn't make sense because we're not talking about in the context of Snapcaster anymore. Okay. I, I will leave all of this conversation in, especially when I when I forgot... that I had dumped on you for this exact same conversation. So I apologize for that. I actually don't remember it. We've been casting for almost 20 casts. That was a few months ago. And I, I legitimately don't remember. No, it was 30 minutes ago. dude. What are you talking about? Oh wait, you're saying it happened this cast? (laughs) Yes. Oh Jesus. I should remember that. I don't. <laughs> oh man. I I mean and it was and it was like a year and a half ago when we would argue about it originally like, <sighs> with our cyborg plans for this deck, but we should get like Adam Wallace's opinion on this. Somebody who actually knows what the fuck they're talking about, right? Yep, we don't. So this deck has uh no tranquil thickets and no barren moors, right? So you can't have that instant speed against a surgical trick with a loam? I mean, it's playing 28 land. You can find room for it, right? Oh, yeah. I'm just saying I would probably get those in there if I were to go into like a double loam sideboard plan. Yeah. It, it This deck does look weird. I, I think this deck is out of the ordinary enough to talk about, but I don't feel confident in going through the analysis of why the card choices are the way they are. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, other than that, we saw 
once again, a lot of chalk in this challenge. I believe there were four or five Miracles decks in the top 32. But as you mentioned, there were three and three decks in the top 32, right? Uh, there were. So Eternal Weekend, right? Do you know anybody who's gone? No. I there Most of the people who I know have kind of, one, been turned off by Card Titan, and two, are kind of burnt out on spending big money to travel to magic trips in general. And I don't know a ton of local people to the Pittsburgh area. I don't even think that my buddy Dom, who lives in Pennsylvania, is going. So I'm I'm sure that I know a few people. I know that, that Riche is there. Yeah, it's crazy. Every year it seemed like less and less people are going out there until now we're at this point. Rich is going out there, and our buddy Tim, I don't know if you know Tim McNath, who plays uh, Lands usually, he's going out there, but I, I think that's it, honestly. Well, like I mean, the... Card Titan Card Titan screwed up bad. Like, yeah. they they went back on their prize pool announcement for the legacy, the big legacy event that they were having on Sunday. They threatened to ban people from further events if they didn't take down the tweets that sort of dumped on Card Titan for scaling back on their prize pool after they advertised and announced it a certain way. You travel and you fly into an airport that's like a 30-minute drive outside of the city to play in an 11-round event for store credit. It's literally all of the worst parts about tournament magic and the only saving grace is you can you get to play legacy and vintage and the people who play vintage that are diehards are going to go because that's their time that they can play but man is that event just structured poorly if you want to showcase the eternal formats and bro you said that the saving grace was you got to play legacy and vintage and I just wanted to correct you. The saving grace is that you can play old school all fucking weekend if you want. And they actually did one cool thing, which is Wizards tried to get them not to allow collector's edition cards or international edition. And they actually negotiated to allow them. They had to allow modern frame reprints in order to, I guess it was sort of like a hostage exchange. I don't actually know that. That's just Yeah, I just I I don't I don't know if I can say great job Card Titan for allowing these cards to be played in your event when they probably had a bunch of them in inventory. Like <laughs> But it is cool because it's the only like close to like a grand prix for old school cuz there's like a lot of localized events, you know, like uh like we had Lobster Con or like there's the Players Ball or the the one in Nashville, the bootleggers ball. There's stuff like that all around the country, but this is like, you know, random people who maybe don't have a local scene at all can show up here and play. Sure, all but weekend, they're gonna you know, they're they gonna play. show up with their foil M M eleven lightning bolts. And do they're gonna show up with with their expedition strip mines. And there's nothing, there's nothing that you're going to be able to do to stop them playing those cards. (laughs) No, that, that's just a spit. I'm just, I'm saying it's going to happen. I just, I feel bad forever that happens too. All right. (laughs) So this past weekend we played old school. It was awesome. And this coming weekend, I believe our buddy Pat Uglo is going to come out to Rapscallions for our old school get together. Outstanding. So we're going to have one more in the family. I think that's a perfect spot to wrap up. So if anybody wants to uh, get in touch with you and inform you on the optimal strategy to cyborg bug against elves, where should they? You can uh, hit you? me up on Twitter at tsmileymtg. Well, how can people get in touch with you in, in telling you that you're wrong about cutting force for elves? At Ian18125 on Twitter. And you can get in touch with the cast at deadformatcast. And you can take a look at our Patreon at patreon.com slash the dead format and take a look at our reward tiers and see if any of them interest you. We tried to tie in some rewards that would really give some value back to people who listen. 
and we're we're looking forward to expanding the the offerings that we have so i wanted to thank everybody who listens and end with that 